You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles. The projectionist has smicha. I'm Avram Kivalevich. I'm here with Yitzchok Kolokowski. And both of us really have our smicha somewhere hanging, right? I don't know where yours is. Um, mine's in a drawer somewhere. But what we're talking about I here... Found, I just found mine in the drawer. It had been <laughs> missing for a few years. It was up on the wall. And uh, we had... Um, our niece was staying here. And my wife said, you know, this doesn't need to be up on the wall. Let's put it away somewhere. And I had no idea where it was. And I was looking for my passport because someone asked me to come out of the country and, and visit somewhere else. And I'm uh, looking for the passport. And here I found I found my smichas. <laughs> well, listen, if anyone ever doubted that your rabbinical credentials, we say projectionist. I know we, have, I guess we should establish a little bit of a rule here because uh, obviously today there aren't any projectionists anymore because now all the, uh, everything's on a laser disc or something like that. And all films... That are I don't shown. think it's even on a laser disc. <laughs> I think I think that's already obsolete. No? Uh, right. I, I guess so. I haven't been in a theater in a long time. I, I guess it's some sort of computer feed that they get, the same way the streaming services have. Is that is that generally you think what what the what the theaters have? I don't know. But they, when, some some of them do. They're, they I mean they are um, digital, uh, some kind of a digital disc. But then they also have uh, they do have streaming services that that do go to the theaters go straight there. to the theater fathom yeah. events uh, through tcm and others and, and the ballets and a lot of other things get yeah get but, but as i said let's get over the definitions the projectionist let's assume that we're talking about films that when they were originally when they were originally shown were shown by somebody changing the reels so let's say our poem shona kupador let's make our let's make our limit 40 years uh ago and earlier so could we say, um, should we say from 1981 uh, and earlier? Maybe, or perhaps we should say a Yoivu, Rabbi Kivilovich, are unique in the rabbinic circles as being, um, if not experts, but at least definitely aficionados of all those great celluloid classics uh, and non-classics, especially in your case, Yitzchak. Um, I think the the, the the more non-classic, I think the more it appeals to you in many ways. So hopefully this program will uh, present, as I would say, a subtitle, Darshaning about old movies. And uh, I think today, what you're fresh off of uh, your latest romp and your adventure in... Um, what do they call uh, what's Pittsburgh's uh, uh, was the Monster Mash, and this is a, a yearly event that it moves from city to city, or is it always in Pittsburgh? It's uh, well, it's not actually in Pittsburgh. It's about a half hour north of Pittsburgh in Mars, Pennsylvania, which is, I think, appropriate that uh, that we went to Mars, and yeah. they. They were doing it for a while in another uh, nearby town, Butler, Pennsylvania. They were they had done it for many years. It's gone on for, I think, 24 years now. They've been doing it with, of course, the exception of, of last year. They, they didn't do it. And uh, so they did it for, I think, about 18 years, 15, 16, 17 years was before we started going there was in Butler. And then it moved to Mars. And then they also do another show. 
um, in Canton, Ohio, which we might be going to in August. And then they they did another one at a drive-in theater that we went to not too long ago. But this was the first one in about two years that was in the hotel. And that's kind of the whole geschmack of it is that we right. we hang out in the hotel. We're able to stay there for Shabbos. And it's uh, that was the chaf when we, we first started going about seven years ago. We went Matzei Shabbos. We heard that someone that we were a fan of, my wife and I, uh, Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000, who we had seen in a show a few, uh, maybe six months earlier live. Um, and we both of us grew up watching on television. Uh, he was that the, it was mentioned on Twitter that he was going to be at this convention that I had maybe heard of once or twice before. And I kind of joked to my wife, Erev Shabbos, I said, Mosei Shabbos, we will get in the car and we'll drive to Pittsburgh. Avildazach, who seemed strange, and Joel Hodgson is going to be there. And so do you want to do that? And she said, yes. I said, really? I was I was kind of joking. She said, yeah, absolutely. We're going. I said, OK. So Mosei Shabbos, late, we get in the car and we arrive in Pittsburgh sometime well on mars uh at the hotel there uh i don't know around 10 or 11 in the morning maybe a little later and uh we're kind of tired and starry-eyed and walk into this wonderland where um joel hodgson greets us and he said oh i remember you because we we got his autograph at this show that we saw where a thousand people were there and my wife was like what she couldn't believe it and then uh then we go and see who else is there. And it was Jay North from Dennis the Menace and uh, people from the Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Night of Living Dead and all these other people were there and they were showing movies and we're like, oh, this is nice. Even not just for Joel Hodgson being here, but it's this is really our our cup of tea. This is kind of what what we've been looking for uh, to, uh, to entertain. So, so how many years? Day. And then the following year we said, we did the same thing. We we drove through the night, Matzei Shabbos, and got there Sunday morning and spent Sunday, meaning we made a day trip out of a, a six-hour drive each way, so 12 hours in the car to spend a few hours there uh, at this event. And then we realized, you know, if we, uh, and that, that theme, it was the mummy, and it was, the, the, I think, Lon Chaney Jr.'s grandson was there, Ron Chaney Jr., so Lon <laughs> Chaney Sr.'s great-grandson was there, and a few other people, and we realized, my wife said to me, she said, uh, you know, this is in a hotel, why can't we just stay here for Shabbos? Why why are we just going to be here Sunday? And and meanwhile, your family is growing, obviously, because seven right. years ago, you didn't have the amount of children that you have now. So this, right, so and, and this would this would entail bringing your family uh, for this Shabbos event, right? right. Well, and they, and they came with us uh, the first two times. Not all of them came that were already... Uh, Baha'i Alma, they were, they, my, my son, Shloyme Yoel, uh, people think we, I named him Yoel after, after Satmarov, but uh, also after Joel from the Mystery Science Theater. I <laughs> hear. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. we, uh, so uh, uh, he didn't make it there. He actually never met Joel from the, from the three times that we met him. He was never with us. Uh, he was a little baby then, but now... Uh, he was made one year old then. So, yeah. now. so look, look, there are people that might be listening to this somehow that might not know what Mystery Science Theater is. So I think what this is, is basically people who grew up, uh, I guess they were baby boomers or later, who discovered uh, the plethora of B films, many of them horror based, 
that in today's light seemed very hokey and easy to make fun of. So what Mystery Science Theater was, was a way to actually show the film. And while the film was running, to have this uh, running voiceover commentary that sort of poked fun at all the uh, uh, goofs and other strange things that were going on. So this was sort of a way to watch an old movie, but with a bunch of nundiks or a smart Alex in the front row, uh, uh, emphasizing how strange and silly and maybe sometimes sublime these programs were. Is that a good synopsis of what Mystery Science Theater was? Smart Alex. Some of the jokes take some some research. There, I, there's an annotated uh, Twitter page, an annotated Mystery Science Theater 3000, they, to explain some of these jokes. I, it just it reminds me of an episode of Dick Van Dyke where he's for every film uh, buff. There's a specific type of spirit that Mystery Science Theater uh, fans have, and that Monster Bash fans have, which is a love for these old films and a knowledge base. Uh, that makes them appreciate uh, the actors and the people about it, um, an understanding of the technique that put these films uh, into the theaters, and also a knowledge about the afterlife of these films, of how uh, the, the cult followings and other things like that. So th these events are really, although they're a lot of fun, that fun is probably increased by the amount of knowledge and experience that you bring to the table. It isn't just like... The, the, the way, I guess, it's not just like the same groupies that go, that used to go to Rocky Horror Picture Show, where, you know, which I haven't, <laughs> which I haven't seen, but, but, but it's, it's somewhat of a different nature. Um, the, yeah. Right? And I think that's part of what... I, I haven't seen it either, although I have a big Kesher to it, because my mother is a big fan of that, and she, she, she came with us this, this, for the first time, and I don't know if she fit in as well, but she... She was wearing her, her Rocky Horror Picture Show 25th anniversary T-shirt that she had gotten at one of her many, many uh, visits. But also one of my rebellion in yeshiva, very nerdy type of thing that's very specialized. I don't know. I was, I was just in the car with my kids, and I realized how uh, I, I have the kids that, 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 that belong to me. You know, they were – my one daughter said to the other, you know, American Pie is 10 minutes long, the song. Uh, you know, by Don McLean is 10 minutes long. And then my other daughter said, Pi, that's infinite. 3.14159. It keeps going, going. Like, <laughs> I see. So uh, only a conversation that um, a certain type of family could have. Although, you know, I, we're all becoming, I guess, closer to that idiosyncratic ideal. So the point, though, is, uh, Yitzchuk, is that uh, leading you through this is that this became an event that the family enjoys. And it's not just, of course, Monster Bash. There's other uh, iterations of other similar types of gatherings, whether it's nostalgia or other sorts of uh, I, names that indicate a love for an era that is only really preserved uh, by some icons, by some aging actors and actresses. Um, and so you're really part of this community. And because you stand out as a as a rov and your height and, 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 and the looks that you have in your family. So you become sort of a, uh, a, a known commodity at these events. And I know that. Yeah, we, we weren't sure if we were going to make it. We talk about it all year and uh, we weren't sure if we were going to make it to to because we were having some car troubles. So we didn't know 
how are we going to, if the uh, warranty on the car was going to cover the repair, things okay. like that. And I wrote to the the one who runs the, the show and I said, you know, if we if we can't make it, can we, you know, we already paid for our tickets, could we save them for next year? And he said, sure. But he said, I really hope you come out here, Joe, because uh, that's my English name is Joseph. He said, because, you know, you're you're part of the heart, heart and soul of the bash is what he said to me. And we were and I told my wife and 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 this uh, fellow, Ron, he must have told me that two or three more times over this weekend. We did make it. Uh, so it was really uh, quite touching. Yeah, it's, it's a community and it really isn't so much from the way you've described it to watch the movies, although that's technically what happens. It's really to sort of like drink in the atmosphere. Um, and I think he said to me that even though it's called Monster Mash, that a lot of the fare there isn't really monster films at all. It's sort of um, an eclectic you know, collection of, of old films based on the, the guest stars that are there. I think there's some child actress um, there was a child actress uh, in, 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 in some films in the 40s and 50s. So since she was there, uh, they were showing some of uh, some of her movies and television spots, right? Correct. Yeah, they showed she I don't think she made it actually. She was a child actress in the 40s and she was in she was quite a prolific actress, although she she said her, her mother was very religious Christian. She wouldn't let her actually see the movies that she was in because she didn't want it to go to her head. And one time her brother also did some acting. And one time, like they were trying to sneak in to go see a movie that one of them was in and and their mother caught them and and, and dragged them out of the theater by their ear that they, they shouldn't be able to see themselves on the screen. So uh, all the while she was pocketing all the money that they <laughs> were making, I'm sure. Um, so uh, my point is, is that, uh, you know, it, it, it isn't just, you know, all these old foam rubber monster or Harry Hasenhausen um, special effects extravaganzas. It's really like a, like a weird collection of, of television shows and, uh, you know, clips and things that highlight some of these aging, uh, <laughs> whoever they can get out of their wheelchair or somehow out of their drunken stupor to show up there and, and, and smile and sign stuff. I know you've told me before that, you know, two television icons are like big part of this whole circuit. Uh, you know, Tony Dow and uh, Jerry Mathers are still, <laughs> they're still going at it. As, they're they're uh, going to be in, in New Jersey this weekend in, in Parsippany at the Chiller Theater Convention. We're debating if we're going to go out there because that one's a little bit, a little yeah. bit more, uh, it's it's a little more it's, it's a little pricier and, and, cra- and more crowded. More intense, yeah. It's not and it's not as it's not as much fun. We can we kind of well, get get annoyed there after about two three hours. We can't well, spend the whole weekend there. Well, like, they're, well, they're bracing for a real horror out of nature. They're bracing for a huge northeastern storm, which we'll see yeah. and might actually you know cause so much damage that uh, everything might be canceled. But one of the reasons why, of course, you went was because it's the Halloween season. And I think uh, there are more horror movies or semi-horror movies or scary movies that are screened, especially now being streamed probably in the, in the next couple of weeks than there are uh, during the whole year. So I guess that's part of the impetus of having the, uh, the Monster Bash now. Uh, you told me that that although everybody knows that you're an Orthodox Jew and your kids are obviously Orthodox and Hasidic, and that's part of the uh, the the novelty that here they are as experts in 
winning trivia games about not knowing about all the uh you know old uh actors and actresses and 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 i think your son corrected me once about how many times uh the blob was made <laughs> or something <laughs> i think he i think he so you know the expertise and and, and cuteness uh all together but I think you told me that you're not the only you are not the only Orthodox Jew that ever showed up there, right? You told me an interesting story once we were we were once talking about it. Why don't you recount that story quickly to us? Yeah, there's a fellow uh, Leonard Getz from from Philadelphia. He was there with his wife, and he was actually one of the not a, a star. He was a he was an author. He is an author. He wrote a, a comprehensive book about the history of the Bowery Boys, the East Side Kids, the Dead End Kids, all the different iterations of of leo gorsi's gang there and so this, let, let me just explain that this was a series of this was a series of shorts and sometimes extended pictures of a group of these uh these sort of like a brooklyn brooklyn-esque sort of kids who were sort of the um who got into various adventures and it turned into a a long series i don't know how many years it, it lasted probably one of the most prolific comedy series of uh of feature films they did you're right they did do some shorts and some uh serials even as the dead end kids and the little tough guys and they 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 <laughs> so this this for me he wrote the uh the history of 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 this uh of this series of films and and like i said the main leader of the group was uh played by leo gorsi who was he himself was not jewish but his father i believe was jewish who also appeared in the movies with them um, so, and this, uh, Leo Gorsi's daughter was, was there, you know, a, a lot of times if you can't get the actual actors to come out, they'll get their children to come out or even their grandchildren and they'll tell stories about their parents. And again, this is not really a monster theme, even though they did a lot of monster theme movies, but they did, they did dozens and dozens of movies and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, I don't know, five or six of them were, were monster type of movies uh, uh, in the Broadway of what you would call monster movies. And they, um, but this fellow, I remember Shabbos morning, they asked him to introduce one of the movies. And I remember Friday, I saw him with a baseball cap. And then Shabbos morning, I saw the yarmulke on and I had already davened already. Uh, and I, I'm sitting there and he's introducing this movie where they met Bela Lugosi, the, the two movies that they made with Bela Lugosi, actually. And um, and the, the presenter handed him a microphone. He said, no, I'm not. He wouldn't touch the microphone. And then uh, I saw my wife noticed that his wife was kind of uncomfortable being there. And we invited both of them, but only she came to our Shabbos Suda. And uh, we, we actually had some some food from from the prison that was uh shelf stable food that we we had gotten from the the fellow who distributes food to the federal prisons uh Aiden monroe so that she, she had a geschmack of trying something uh <laughs> seeing <laughs> how the other side lives but it, it really cheered her up a lot to be able to have a Shabbosnik atmosphere there at, at this uh, film festival convention. You had that in, that was in your own hotel room. You didn't have to, you were able to, you did have, I guess that it's something when you find somebody in, in the film world who, who shares uh, some of the same love of, of, of the world that's gone, the world that, that, that meant a lot, obviously moving pictures uh, since the time of Edison uh, has, 
uh, fascinated people. It's, 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 it's something where I think one of the first films they ever showed was just a train or something. Uh, and people would just go into the theater and, and, and be transported from where they were and to really imagine and see the train coming at them. And that itself was, was something. Obviously, I think, so. I think they said some people uh, ducked out of the way because they thought it was going to hit them. Yeah. So uh, clearly uh, we live in an era that can't, we cannot escape. And uh, although these old films uh, are, are perhaps an acquired taste, they definitely bespeak uh, a time when, especially during the Depression and other difficult times in the, in the American history, where going to these films was the escapist fair, especially uh, did so much to keep the balance of of people. It was everybody went to the movies. It was a nickel, a dime, whatever it was, and you spent hours there because there was no television, and it was a way to get get the news reel. You, the kids enjoyed the shorts, the cartoon. Uh, if it was a double feature, you could basically spend uh, five five hours there uh, in the theater, and that was like a that, that's that that was your life. In many ways, a way to to escape, but also to learn. So the the films that come from that era are, are in some ways, you know, a, a lot different than you know the boutique films or binge series that people get into. It's almost like the movies were a life raft, despite how silly they were. And for many, um, the excitement of being able to sit on a Saturday afternoon and scream and ooh and ah when uh, the monster appeared, uh, it was a way to to, to connect, to be able to enjoy other people around you, and to be scared, but not really scared uh, for your emotions and anxieties. I understand why uh, this is something that means so much to you and how you're able to sort of, to be able to go to all these conventions and, and, and to be there. Um, you know, what we want to do in this program is to give some of our recommendations. Now, obviously, uh, Yitzchok, uh, people that have been listening to our other programs. This, this uh, weekend, I, I didn't get to see all the movies that I wanted to, but I saw one that was kind of interesting. My, my wife doesn't want me to spoil it. I don't know if she can hear me or not, but uh, again, one of the this, this child actress who was there, or supposed to be, she'd been there other times. Um, she, she was in this one movie called The Locket, and it was... Uh, and, it's interesting, you know, it's called the, this, this program is called the projectionist and projection is not only a film term, but it's also very much a psychological term. And uh, I was a psych major in, in college and uh, this is a psychological thriller. Again, and they, when they showed the movie, it was one of the first movies they showed this year at the bash. And uh, when the, the uh, head of the show was was introducing it he said you know don't expect a monster movie this is you know it's maybe a film noir it's a mystery it has certainly some weird elements but it's not a monster movie and uh, and it wasn't but it was it was it did fit into the milieu more of the about a woman who was uh, uh seems that she was accused of murder and trying to get around that issue um she was about to be married to a man and another man shows up i think at an engagement party or maybe it was even wedding day itself uh to talk to the groom tell him that he had been married to her and you know what a you know how larger than life she was and how she kind of uh, fooled him and uh, you know g- gave him 
a run for the money and the then uh, there was someone else involved before him was was played by uh, Robert Mitchum. Uh, this was from 1946, so it was a, a young Robert Mitchum, and they uh, uh, quite an interesting psychological thriller about really the you know if we can if we're both rabbis we should find some musser or something in uh, even in, in the in these uh, Klippersnoiga things that maybe it's not really uh, you know that shouldn't be total Bittelsmann. Uh, that uh, it's really a lesson about the danger of of chemda of leisachmoid. You know what does it mean to? And even here there was a it was a story about uh, she. Right, but but she was little... basically she was she was accused of, of, as a child for stealing when she really didn't steal, right? And that's right. sort of and that sort of like branded her, and that's the Sharon Moffat character that the uh, <laughs> that is about, that's the star of the of the monster mash. To, she was ten, I guess. When you know she's probably now ninety or something or close to ninety yeah. years old, but uh, at that time she was only ten when the movie was made. And um, again, she plays the the young girl. And part of the movie is to figure out why she has become the way she has become, right? And um, yeah. and I, I guess you're right. You can see how crucial it is. The child is the father of the man or the uh, or of the woman in this case, and we can see how important it you know uh, how important it is raising children and how their their the life of them as children how can affect their uh, their whole adulthood right um and I, and as you say it's it's a morality play it doesn't it's not like the gangster pictures that that applaud uh the actions of the of the heroine right it it, it recognizes that um that this woman needs help i think right uh, yeah so it's you would say that if if you can get a hold of it it was despite the fact that it's really not up your alley, but you found yourself drawn into this film noir uh, morality uh, show more than you probably expected, right? Oh, I think I expected to enjoy it. I'm not. I don't. I, I... Trim, of course, has done incredible work in film noir. He probably is the the voice and the and the and the you know and some of the later stuff that he did, uh, the voice and and attitude of what film of what makes film noir great. Um, so. He's definitely a character that, you know, Mitchum, and we could do a whole show about, you know, old Robert Mitchum films that, you know, one can get a lot out of. Um, recommend, what's our second recommendation? It was, uh, a, it was an episode of Wagon Train um, with, again, one of the, a child actress who was there. She was there, Bev- Beverly Washburn, and, it, and Lou Costello, who was a favorite of all the people at Monster Bash, they actually used to have a, an Abbott and Costello routine there. Two men imitated Abbott and Costello, and the one who played Lou Costello actually died, I think, at the same age as that Lou Costello died. And uh, he was, he, they were coming for years and did an amazing live show uh, of Abbott and Costello. And, the, um, and uh, anyway, Lou Costello, he did a few things after he broke up with, with Bud Abbott. He made one feature film. And he made this episode of Wagon Train, which again yeah. was uh, yeah, quite yeah. A, a morality play. It was related again to my. It, it was again nothing. There was no either horror or mystery element to it. It was he. He played a drunk who. Tobias uh, Jones, the Tobias, Tobias Jones story. Yes, Tobias Jones. Had you seen it? No, but uh, I'm quick. I'm quick with my iPhone. 
Yes, <laughs> the, the Tobias Jones story. Yes, yeah. I, I think I think in Wagon Train, every single episode was called this story, this story, right? I think sort of like the same way the uh, an I Spy, they were all called the Caper, right? Each one, or maybe that was Man from Uncle. <laughs> each one had each thing was called Blank Caper, this Caper, that Caper. I think in Wagon Train. Uh, the show from the 50s, every show, uh, the, the title of the programs were every week, you know, as this wagon train is, I don't know how long it took, must have taken them many, many years to get where they needed to go. But, <laughs> and, I, I, but somehow this wagon train has a news story every week of some other guy they pick up <laughs> who's with them on their way to Colorado, wherever they're going to Oregon or something like that. So uh, every week it was sort of like, you know, it was, it was a, a series that had a number of regulars, but uh, so they so actually Lou Costello does a little bit of a, a drama here, right? Yeah, it was it was real drama, and it, he plays a drunk who's accused of murder, and and he's so depressed that he didn't care. He was ready to just get hanged because he didn't want to he didn't want to have to deal with life anymore. He was so he felt he he was felt he was like a layutzluch, and he didn't want to he, he 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 and he was and he was miyayish, and also. It, you know, it's a lesson about the the dangers of of Yeush and and you know how you can't be miyayish and all, which I guess would fit in with the with the Ishbitzer and Breslov and other Hasidish as far and you know the dangers of being being miyayish that people and and it's something we that I see certainly I, to go back to the to I, I our, think I think Ward wasn't Ward Bond like a regular on wagon train like, yeah, was, yeah. Like, which you know Ward Bond of course is uh, in in my book you know, so very well known from all the John Ford classics. So I think this was actually a film um, that was based on a John Ford, the the Wagon Train series was based on um, a John Ford film that I think was called that of John Ford's 1950 film, Wagon Master, which was one of John Ford's favorites. He actually, despite you know the searchers and some of the other, uh, you know the the cavalry tri- trilogy, uh, he actually loved this film. And if you watch it, you actually really enjoy it. It's got great uh, repartee between Harry Carey Jr. and Ben Johnson. Uh, they are there's these two schmoes. They're just great. And Ben Johnson, you can tell why uh, so many people looked at him as like the art type of a, of a western star so ward bond in that film and in, in wagon master actually plays a, a mormon uh who was elder wiggs was on his way uh to you know to some place in utah i guess wherever they're going uh and um you know the, this is the the story of how they got through um and i think because of that film and because of how it got into people's consciousness they decided to make a television series out of it and I think this is really why this this was the it was an episodic type of series where they could do a different story each week. So was that was that your first episode of ever watching Wagon Train? That's your first Wagon Train questions to the great nuggets that that you brought we back from. Had, had Mutzer in it. They were, it wasn't just Amazon. It wasn't. Uh... I understand. You don't have to defend yourself. Yeah. Two great nuggets. Two great nuggets from Mars. And. Uh, both of them are probably worth your while, and you probably come out of it. You don't feel like you have to go to the mikvah afterwards. Um, the locket and the Tobias Jones story. Um, 
I'm going to suggest something which I think you do have to go to the mikvah afterwards. At least there are a lot of there's a lot of people going to the mikvah in this movie. That's all I can tell you. They come out of the mikvah that we put the mason in, and that is Carnival of Souls, which um, I should have seen years ago, but I only saw it recently, and it's still really resonating with me. Uh, it's obviously a movie that you are very familiar with, um, and it's one of the uh, classic uh, cult Halloween films. Um, it was. You know, it, it really is uh, a film. It was the only uh, feature film uh, that was made by Herc Harvey, the director. That name itself is worth it, Herc Harvey. Um, the, the film was made for $30,000, which was a decent amount of money at that time. It was filmed in just a couple of weeks, and it's a, it's a, a ghost story. Uh, but it really is, a, in my mind, uh, very much a, a, an investigation of a lot of psychological truths. Um, the the actress who um, who is this the, the main star is uh, Candace Hillegas, and uh, she is in, she uh, is involved in a traffic accident uh, playing chicken, which was like a big thing as you could see in movies, just like in Rebel Without a Cause and other films. I think the um, the adults in the 1950s and 60s felt this was like the worst thing that was going on. You know, the juvenile delinquents playing chicken, which was where you would race cars and you'd see who was who would uh, you would you would go into a situation where it was so narrow and which was the car that would move away or which car would uh, would swerve before the other one. So that's what uh, the way the film starts. And in, 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 in what happens is the car goes over the bridge and. They can't find the car, but somehow uh, this woman walks out. She had been in the car with her friends, and she seems to be the same. And what you discover about her is that she is an organist who, who plays the organ beautifully and works for churches. And she's being sent to churches throughout the country, including, I guess it was a Mormon church in, in Salt Lake City. However, it's clear that she is not the same since the accident. And throughout the film, she is haunted uh, by the man. And what, I, what I really love about the film is that the man, this person who I guess uh, is, is haunting her, is actually Herc Harvey himself, is the director. Oh. You know? <laughs> so the director himself, you know, he put himself into the film quite prominently um, and, you know, with this ghoulish makeup. And even though the, the film should not work for so for a hundred reasons, <laughs> this should be one of the worst films of all time. The acting is so wooden. Um, the, the, the people saying their lines, including the Jewish doctor, um, it's 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 almost you would if you would hear the film and not see it you would you would be asleep in a second but the cinematography is so jarring the the imagery of what they used what they were able to of course they were using salt air which was the greatest the biggest pavilion in the united states in between new york and san francisco that was built right near the salt lake so they were able to use uh, an incredible, uh, you know, an incredible uh, place uh, for their scenery, uh, where, the, where where they staged, you know, some of the crucial parts of the film, and uh, it, it it somehow it, it, you can watch that that film has a power uh, sixty years later that that I think still resonates. Uh, to me, part of the the the, the muster of the film, if we 
uh, as we're talking here as uh, uh, projectionists with smicha, uh, I would say that the most of the film is, is that there are people who are going through life who are ghosts in general, even before the events occur that, that bring them to their death. It's clear from this woman that you know, she, she is not interested in making uh, warm relationships. She is very self-absorbed. And, you know, the character who, uh, I think it's played by a Jewish guy, the, the guy who, who's in the same boarding room with her, uh, his name was Sidney Berger. So I assume he's a Jewish guy. He's sort of a real a sleazy uh, fellow that, you know, that wants to, 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 to put the moves on her. But he asks her, he says, you know, you're an organist, you work for a church, you play in a church. She says, it's a business to me. Uh, a church, who cares? You know, they're paying me. They pay me good money. I work there. That's it. And that sort of disconnect um, is really indicative of the type of person she is. She's very attractive. And in some ways, perhaps you'd want to be connected to her. But then you realize how unlikable she is, you know, as a human being. I think, you know, uh, Janet Lee and Psycho uh, and, and other women who are sort of like haunted figures the, you sort of build up a sympathy for them and you, and, and, you know, you don't want this terrible thing to happen to them. Like, and I think that's, that's a trope, I think, in a lot of the, uh, the horror films where, you know, oh, you don't want that to happen to her. Oh, I hope she survives. Or, or maybe she's so evil that, you know, you want bad things to happen to her. I think uh, one of the reasons why this film works is because you, you realize how empty this person is. And you realize how many of us don't have to be evil to be completely self-absorbed, to be disconnected. And some of us have to realize what our lives are, that if we're, if we're not really affected by the aspects of spirituality that inundate our lives, uh, then in a way we are dead. And I think a Carnival of Souls uh, sort of teaches a lesson about the significance of being connected to your spiritual side. So uh, it, 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 it's just so hokey and yet so beautiful at the same time. So that's going to be, if you can get a hold of it, it is, it, it is in the public domain. Yes, but, uh, I think that's part of the reason why it's become so popular is it's so easy to get. You know, but... But, but the Criterion Collection, I think, has, has discovered, uh, first of all, the print is obviously going to be much better if you can stream it through the Criterion Collection. And it also, I think, has a, an extra four minutes uh, where it has some of them, some some more scenes. The, the landlady is also worth the price of admission. <laughs> you know, the, the, these actors, I don't think you're going to see them anywhere else, but I think they they earn Chayanetza. I don't know if Carnival of Souls was ever, is ever shown at any of your, um, any of the places you go, but it definitely deserves to be up there uh, as something uh, very significant. No, absolutely. It's a very, yeah, very well-known movie and a very, it's out there. It's it's different than a lot of these movies. In a, in a, I, I would say, I think it's almost like what you're saying. You know, Rishoyim b'chayehim, Korean Mason, right? And, and 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 that's the point. It's the banality of evil that Hannah Rent saw. Uh, in many ways, it's the precursor to uh, the, the George Romero films uh, and uh, uh, David Lynch, who uh, of course. Uh, you know, is the the auteur that created Twin Peaks. Uh, Twin Peaks has a lot of similarity uh, to the, the sort of like the uh, cadence of of Carnival of Souls. Carnival of Souls has a, a very similar pacing 
to uh, to Twin Peaks, and I think there's there's a, a lot of similarity there uh, to that. Suggest something from 1976. Uh, Carnival Souls is 62, but I want to suggest something from from 1976, and uh, it's again available on the Criterion. I don't know if you can find it other places. I, I yeah, I, I am very disturbed that a Jewish fellow um, was so moved to make this film, Larry Cohen. It's called God Told Me To. And it is set in New York City. It's shot in New York. And uh, it makes very heavy use of, of, of New York scenes. But really what it's about is a series of terrible murders, serial killings, other disturbing events. And the people that are perpetrating them are normal, regular, balanced individuals who never had an evil day before that. And it turns out that the reason why each person says they're doing it is because God told them. Every single one, and, and, and there's a detective involved who, who, is, who is determined to discover. And this detective, of course, is a, is a very religious man. He's, he goes to church all the time. He's always praying. And now he's hearing, he gets, he, gets to, he gets to be the one who hears from all these perpetrators that it's God who has come to all these people in a prophecy and told them that since the world is anyway going to, you're anyway going to die, that they should die as korbanos for God. Uh, there's a, a scene where a number of rabbis and priests are talking and the Akeda is mentioned. Uh, it really is, the, it's a, the, the film is really shocking in terms of its, uh, of, of its theme, in terms of its idea. Uh, it was, uh, it, it then takes a, a completely left turn and goes into the whole world of, of science fiction and um, uh, alien abduction uh, in, in really one of the strangest, strangest ways, you know, I've ever seen. Uh, so it really, it's sort of like horror science fiction um, and, and questioning uh, this idea of people who do jihad and, 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 and kill for the sake of God, uh, people who can, be, who can be spurred by religious fanaticism and how that shakes others. You know, when you hear people uh, use God as a rationale to destroy and kill, and you yourself are a religious person, how that challenges you and how that makes you think about, you know, what your religion says. And I think the film really asks uh, very deep questions as far as that goes. And, you know, as rabbis, I think we, we also have to deal with this point, you know, especially, you know, we, we don't talk about Islamic extremism uh, anymore because it's the woke culture has stopped us. From mentioning it, but I think you know this is something that this film makes you confront. It makes you confront the idea and how there's uh, many people who distort the idea of God. And basically, uh, the film was also released as Demon uh, because I think the, the the original title that Larry Cohen liked so much was that uh, God told me, God told me to. <laughs> uh, people were very um, uh, disturbed by it. But I think it's worth a, I think it's worth a watch, uh, not not for your kids though. <laughs> I can say that it's definitely not a film that you want your 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 children to see. But I think if for a person who's a, a thinking individual, it's 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 definitely hokey. And one of the great things of the film for me was I think it was the um, Andy Kaufman is in that film as well, oh. and um, 
Andy Kaufman, uh, I can spoil it for you. Andy Kaufman plays uh, a policeman who at a St. Patrick's Day uh, parade uh, loses it and starts firing away and shooting people. And uh, it's great to see that Andy Kaufman smile. <laughs> you sort of think when you see him and you know what Andy Kaufman's history was, you can know that Andy Kaufman was having a lot of fun uh, when he was making this movie. And uh, those are my two. Those are my two picks. Yitzhak. So, look, we will try this again. And uh, as we said, you know, our smicha is hanging in the projection room. Take care, everybody. We hope uh, you, know, you know how to get a hold of us. Tell us some of your... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.